Jesus is worthy of it all. The Lamb of God slain at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, risen from the dead, exalted today at this very moment. He's seated in a place called glory at the right hand of God the Father, and he is truly worthy of it all. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you. Lord, this is not about me. It's not about the people here. It's about you, Lord Jesus, being exalted in our worship and being exalted in our Bible study. Lord, touch our hearts. Lord, we've come to study your word. We've come to study the living word. So, Father, today, please bless us as we look into your word and we we, uh, participate in this Lord's Day. We love you and we praise you. Be exalted, Lord Jesus, in our midst and in our study. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Hey, praise the Lord. What happened this week? Roe versus Wade got overturned in our country. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's about the sanctity of life. We, we, we believe in life. And so we, now we just need to continue to pray for our country and, and pray for the states because it's gone from the national level to the state level. You all guys know that. So please be praying for our leaders in each state that they make a good, solid decision for life. Amen? Amen. Hey, y'all ready to get in the Word this morning? All right. Man, this is an amazing, amazing study. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17 and 18. This is, I have read that this is one of the, uh, two of the most difficult chapters to interpret in all of the Bible. It's a very challenging passage. Got lots of symbology. Give me some grace. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to do my very best. I've studied my heart out all week and wrapped my mind around these terms and, 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 and I'm going to dive into it. Uh, so I'm thankful that we get to study Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and it's concerning Babylon. Now, if I say that name, the first thing you're going to think is, what in the world is Babylon? The title of my message is The Fall of Babylon. What is Babylon? What has Babylon got to do with 2022? You may be asking. What is the significance of this name? The, the name Babylon is synonymous with false religion, witchcraft, and humanistic thinking. It's man believing he is his own God and he controls his own destiny. It's paganism and idolatry wrapped in religion. Babylon traces its origins back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where Nimrod and the descendants of Noah rejected God, built a life, a name, and a religion for themselves. Of course it failed as God came down and confused their languages and scattered them across the face of the planet. Throughout the Old Testament, Babylon has been the epicenter of false religion. Babylon was destroyed in 539 B.C. by the Persians under Cyrus the Great. It's been gone now for 2,500 years. But its rippling effects are seen in the world today in the over 4,000 religions. The Bible teaches in the last days that there will be a revival of false religions all across the planet. Listen to what Paul said to uh, Timothy in, in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. This doctrine of demons, this deceitful spirit, Satan and his lies, and the spirit, the spirit of Babylon, that's the word I want to emphasize, the spirit of Babylon, they all go together, and they represent the harlot, which is, which is uh, false religion. So in Revelation chapter 17, verse 18, I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the end product before we start studying it, is God is going to bring a crushing defeat to the spirit of Babylon in the world and all the false religions. So y'all ready to dive into it? Revelation chapter 17, open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen. Revelation 17, 1 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. 
with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now, the first question we have to ask as, as we dive into this passage is, who is the great harlot? Now, if you have an NASB, ESV, NIV, uh, and some other uh, translations, they use the word harlot, but the King James uses the word whore. And so what is the whore? Who is the great harlot of um, verse 1? If you study the rest of the chapter, I'm going to give it to you up front. It's a revived Babylonian system of false religion in the last days. And think about the name harlot. It's a, it's a prostitute and being uh, unfaithful to God. And notice also in verse 1, at the very end of verse 1, where, did, where is it? It, said, it says uh, he sits or she sits on many waters. When it says that she sits on many waters, that's a picture of it being a worldwide religion. This won't be localized in one part of the planet, but it'll be worldwide. This one world religion will be in bed, according to the text, verse 2. She commits acts of immorality. This one world religion will be in bed with kings, rulers, and the government. It will abandon absolute moral truth, and it will promote immorality. So the thing is, we, as we talk about Revelation chapter 17, John is emphasizing the spiritual religious aspect of this false religion. When we get into Revelation chapter 18, it's going to turn into the um, economic and the way of life. But Revelation 17 and 18 both go together as the spirit of Babylon. So, uh, so she's in bed with the leaders of the world, and she promotes immorality, and she's unfaithful to God but a judgment's coming. Look at verse 3. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, do you see why people say this is one of the most difficult chapters in all the Bible to interpret? Well, when we get to verse 10 and 11, I'm going to explain the seven heads and the ten horns. But again, looking at verse 3, the, the woman sitting on the scarlet beast, well, we've already established the woman is who? The harlot. And she's seated on the scarlet beast. You see that in verse 3. Now, we've got to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, okay? And so, Pastor David believes, based on Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, which tells us clearly that the beast is the Antichrist, that the scarlet beast as a representation of the Antichrist. So this pagan religion, this harlot, this woman, is supported and enforced by the Antichrist government system. It says on there, the woman was sitting on the scarlet beast. So the beast, the Antichrist, is supporting the harlot, the false religion, during the Great Tribulation. He will endorse this. You know, uh, some, one philosopher once said, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses, well, in the, in the Great Tribulation, it will be the opiate of the masses. It will be used by the Antichrist to control the world. This will be the one world religion that is presented and, and kept the people in check. But we're going to see a little bit later in our study that even the Antichrist is going to turn even on the false religion at the halfway point of the Great Tribulation. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery. And here it is, her title on her forehead, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So Babylon the Great in the book of Revelation, when you put all this together, and you'll see this as we go through the study this morning, here, here's a good definition. Babylon the Great is a religious and political system in the world that opposes Christianity and biblical values. It promotes immorality, and it stands in opposition to God. Babylon the Great, you could say, represents the religion of man, the religion of the fallen world apart from Christ. Verse 6, verse 6, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, 
And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. What does that verse tell us about this, this spirit of the age that's coming, this false religion? It, it teaches us that during the Great Tribulation, the spirit of Babylon the Great, this, this antichrist, this evil, satanic religion, under its influence, they will put Christians to death. They will put Christians to death. They will execute the godly. They will not want the truth, but they will hate the truth. And friends and family, I'm just being real with you this morning. We kind of see the world moving in this direction now, the spirit of the age. I mean, we just had a guy just a couple months ago travel from Sim Valley, California, all the way to Washington, D.C., with the intent of murdering a Supreme Court justice who supported life. Okay? There is this, there will be this animosity and this hatred towards the godly who stand for Christ and stand for biblical values. And they will put believers and those who oppose them to death according to Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. Verse 7, it says, And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. I will get to those. Verse 8, the beast that you saw was, and this is important, that who is the beast? According to Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist. So the beast, the Antichrist, that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was here it is again. He was and is not and will come. My best interpretation of this verse is if you go back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, the Antichrist, because it says the beast in verse 8, and back in Revelation 13, 3, the Antichrist will be inflicted with a great wound, possibly an assassination attempt, but he will miraculously be healed and it will cause the world to stand in awe, and they will worship and follow him. That's my interpretation of verse 8, because it says, the beast, the Antichrist, he was and is not. Is, and it's a reference back to Revelation chapter 13. We see this throughout the entire book of Revelation. Wait till we get to next week, when we look at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we look at the return of Christ. I mean, John gives us snapshot photos, and sometimes those snapshots go with different portions of Scripture. But I believe that's what's taking place here. Now let's get into the seven heads and the seven mountains. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. So here we have the seven heads, um, seven mountains, and seven kings. I've got a slide to show you to help you see this that you can take note in your Bible, the uh, Revelation 17.10. There it is. Okay, I, I got that one Bible verse up on the screen, and I've got what I understand this verse to mean with the, lots of commentaries that I've, I've studied. It says, they are seven kings. When John was writing this, you got to think about when John was writing this on the island of Patmos. He says, five have fallen, one is, and the other is yet to come. And he's seeing, what he's seeing in his vision is kingdoms. He's seeing king, the kingdoms, the kingdom phases throughout history. And he says, five have fallen. Prior to John writing this, we had Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, Persia, and Greece. Then it's comma, and it says, one is. When he's writing this letter, Rome is in power. And then he says, other has yet to come. This other we don't know. We don't know. Some people speculate that it's Babylon in the Middle East. Some people suspect it's Rome. Some people even say it's the United States of America. I don't know. The text doesn't say, so I'm not going to say. But all I can tell you is this, based on the text, that there will be a future world empire that comes up on the scene, and nobody can say with definitive who it will be, but it will be a super world power. I t if I had to lean one way, I would say it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. It's going to be a revived Roman Empire based on Daniel. But uh, that's who these guys are. It'll be a future kingdom. 
And, and it says, and he must remain a little while. And out of that future kingdom, other than is yet to come, the Antichrist will arise out of that kingdom. Look at verse 11. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seventh, and he goes to destruction. So here he's talking about the beast. The beast, Revelation chapter 13, is the Antichrist who was and is not, talking about his assassination attempt, is also an eighth. And, but he says eighth and one of the seventh. I interpret that to mean that, that the Antichrist will rise out of this seventh kingdom and be this eighth ruler that rules the world during the great tribulation period. Do I, ha- I kind of have you? Everybody kind of following? Okay, let's continue. It says, because that's important. Think about this. Great tribulation, a world power, and on top of that world power is the Antichrist ruling. Now let's look at his sub-government. Verse 12, I believe that's where it's going. Verse 12 says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So I interpret this and understand this to mean that the ten horns with the ten kings will be the rulers of ten nations under the leadership of the Antichrist. Okay? And before you start going out and saying, okay, well, who is it? Who is it? Who, who, who could this possibly be? They could be, coming into, they could be coming into focus and they could be beginning, but we don't know. We don't know because this is future. Is it taking place now? Could be. Is, is it all coming together? I would, say, I would lean toward yes, it is all coming together somewhere there in the Middle East, there in Europe. But there will be 10 countries with 10 kings in this revived Roman Empire or whatever kingdom this is that's ruled by the Antichrist. And this is what will be taking place during the Great Tribulation. Their purpose, so he's got these 10 kings, 10 nations. Look at their purpose. The next verse, verse 13. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. All they are, they are puppets of the Antichrist. And and their loyalty will be to the Antichrist into this very dark world. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will serve the purposes of the Antichrist. Verse 14. And of course, the, what's the purpose of the Antichrist? Think about his name. He's what? He's Antichrist. He's against Jesus. He's against Christianity. With that thought, look at the next verse. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Verse 14, I'm going to preach on next Sunday when we get into the return of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. But the bottom line is, give me 10 L's there's going to be 10 L's on all their forehead because they are going to lose the battle. Okay? They, they, these guys are going to be smart and they're going to build a confederation and, they, and they're going to know about the gospel and they are going to go to battle against God Almighty. That is not very smart. <laughs> that makes no sense at all. You will lose and they will lose. And it says they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them. Because he, not them, is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called faithful, or are called and chosen and faithful. That's a very important statement as we get into the book of Revelation. Because at the end of the great tribulation, we believe in a second coming of Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back with a white horse. He's coming back on a white horse. And guess who else? He's going to have a bunch of believers with him riding on white horses. Guess who that might be? The believers. Yes, but here's a little reference to it. The, uh, are the people in the multitude, excuse me, oh, verse 14, who are with him and are called and chosen and faithful. We'll get more into that next week because it goes deep into that when we get to the second half of Revelation chapter 19. Verse 15, and he said to me, the waters which you saw 
where the harlot sits are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. The entire world, minus Christians, during the Great Tribulation will follow the spirit of Babylon. Verse 16, verses 16 through 18. He says, And the ten horns which you saw, those ten nations, and the beast, these will hate the harlot. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They're turning on themselves. This is sad. They can't, they, they can't even work together. The, the Antichrist and the ten kings, they can't even get along with their own false religion, is what this passage is saying. Let's read it together. Verses 16 through 18. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purposes by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the word of God it will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Last week we were talking about the great city and... Um, just want you to know, there's, the great city is referenced multiple times in the book of Revelation. In some places, it's talking about Babylon or, or Rome. In some places, it's, it's, it's talking about Jerusalem. I just, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. But in the great tribulation, looking back at verses 16 through 18, in the great tribulation, the Antichrist will use false religion to control the world. But at some point, according to the text, verse 16, at some point, possibly the midpoint, of the, of the tribulation, the Antichrist and the ten world leaders will turn on the false religion. Paul may be referencing this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul alludes to the coming of the Antichrist, and he says this, The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God. So the opening of the Great Tribulation, he will use this religion, the opiate of the masses, to control the people. But we believe at the halfway point of the Tribulation, he will go into the temple, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, he will desecrate the temple. He will establish himself, and, he, and, and the world will realize who he is. And at that point, at that point, at the midway point of the tribulation, when he reveals himself and he desecrates the temple, they will no longer need this. He will no longer want this false religion. Why? Because he wants to be worshipped. He declares himself, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, he displays himself as being God. So once his power is complete, he will no longer need religious Babylon's help. He will command the world to worship him. So even this false religion, they, they're not even unified. It will all be used for the, the purposes of the Antichrist in this fallen world. So that's the spiritual side. That's the religious side. Now let's continue into Revelation chapter 18 where we're going to see it affects everything, their way of life and their economics. Uh, chapter 18, verse 1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So just imagine during the Great Tribulation, uh, the world is going to be Gotham-like. Think about Batman. It's going to be very Gotham, and it's going to be very dark, and this angel, fresh out of the presence of heaven, is going to come down and is going to illuminate. It's going to illuminate the dark world because straight from the glory of God, okay? And I like to, I like to call this, uh, this angel that's coming down, the angel is pronouncing a funeral. The, the angel is presiding over a funeral. Look at verse 2. This angel illuminated in glory over the darkness of the earth during the great tribulation. Verse 2 says he cried out with a mighty voice. This angel here, family, is announcing the crushing defeat of Babylon. It verse 2 says, the angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
she has become a dwelling place of demons and a spirit of every unclean spirit and hateful birds. It's a funeral. This is what is going to happen during the great tribulation to Babylon, the false religions, and all the ungodly philosophies of the world. Friends and family, sin and debauchery is this world's religion. And it will take them down to destruction. Paul said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is, is death. Brings a whole new big meaning to that. But, he's, but the angel, first one comes down, shines, makes an announcement. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then you have these birds, just envision vultures, just circling over, over death and decay. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be nasty. Verse 3. Verse 3 tells us what they did wrong. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Where did she, where did they go wrong? during the Great Tribulation. Where did the world go wrong? They drank the sin and the immorality of this world. And also it says at the end of verse 3, it says that the people, the world will be so dark that they will use sin um, and debauchery to get rich. The very end of verse 3, they became rich by the wealth of our sensuality. Friends and family, Christians, we are commanded to turn from sin, not live in it. We crucify it. We fight it. You know, it's a war. The, the, the battle of sin wages war against every single one of you in here. If I ask you to raise your hand, every single person should raise their hand. If I say, who has a war with sin? It battles against you. It battles against me. Okay? Pastors are tempted you are tempted, the mailman is tempted, but we are called to fight. We are called to fight the good fight and to run from temptation and cry out to God for help. Cry out to God for his Holy Spirit to overwhelm us in power and passion, to resist the flesh, to, to run from it. It looks dazzling, it looks pretty, but in reality, sin is darkness. And the, the phrase in verse 3, the nations have been drunk of the wine of the passion of our immorality. It's just darkness that, that pursues you and it pursues me. And we've got to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God, moving forward in our fight. Okay? No one's perfect, but we have God's grace to help us overcome temptation and the Holy Spirit to empower us and push us forward in our walk with Christ. Verse 4, And I, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. As you study this chapter, and you study a lot of chapters, a lot of chapters, when, when, when we're given a snapshot picture, is, is, he's given us a complete overview of, of, the, of the great tribulation. And here is the command to the tribulation believers. The command to the tribulation believers is the same command that God gives to you and me. And that is to flee, to run from sin, to go to the shoe store, get your best pair of new balances, and run. Run from temptation. Run from temptation. First Peter 1.16 says, It is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God calls us to separate ourselves from the old practices, the old sin, and the old way of life. Verse 5, For her sins have piled up as high as the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, 63-68, Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. 
For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. Pestilences and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God judges her as strong. This is the severe judgment of this spirit of Babylon, of these leaders, of the Antichrist, of the people, that not only do they sin, but they entice other people to join in their sin. That's what he's talking about here. And verse 6 says, uh, give back to her double. God is going to double the judgment on those who lead others into sin and lead people away from Christ. Okay, you want to live in sin, and that's your decision? Okay, fine. You shouldn't. You should repent. But whatever you do, don't lead others into sin. Don't entice other people to follow darkness. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is this tough? Yes, it is. Your pastor's been studying it all week, and my heart has just been crushed in my study as I consider the state of the church today, and I consider where people are in their walk with Christ, and it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see Christians and believers in churches and, and organizations, Christian organizations, compromising on biblical values. There's consequences for rebellion. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, verse 6. But whoever, in the gospel of Matthew, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Basically what he's saying there, before I entice someone else to sin or lead them away from the Lord, I'm better off driving down to Charleston, getting on a boat, driving 50 miles out, hire, uh, tying a piece of a concrete millstone to my neck and just jumping into the ocean. It's better than, than the judgment I would face for leading someone away from Christ or leading someone into sin. This is serious and this is heavy. Now I do understand that this is during the Great Tribulation. This is at the very end of the Great Tribulation. Most of the believers and, uh, have died in the first two-thirds of the Tribulation. But the very end of the Great Tribulation, which is where we're at, I think we're, we're finishing it up today and a little bit next week, uh, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy. He continues in, in verse 9. He says, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and live sensuously with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Can you say the house is on fire? The ship is going down? Verse 10 says, Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. I believe that the spirit of Babylon is, is an economic, is a spiritual, is a religious. And some people believe, based on this verse, and I, I would agree with them, you could add it to it. Some people say this religion will likely have a headquarters or a temple in Rome or Babylon. Because it says, woe, woe, the great city of Babylon, the strong city. So it's very likely that this religion during the Great Tribulation will have a headquarters somewhere there in Europe, Rome, or Babylon. But the house is on fire, and the people are fleeing like sewer rats. God will bring rebellion to an end in the Great Tribulation. It, it, it's, 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 it, the, curtain's, the curtain's coming down. The curtain's coming down. Verse 11. Now, before I read verses 11 through 16, I would think that if I was living during the Great Tribulation and I saw everything that we've studied in the book of Revelation, I think I would repent. I think I would come to my senses. I, th I think I would be like, okay, I can't do this no more, okay? You know, I, I, I've got to do the right thing. But what I want you to notice as we read verses 11 through 16, I want you to see, and this, and this tells you a lot. 
I want you to see where the people's heart is, okay? They've seen all this judgment. They've seen all this cataclysmic stuff. Let's see what's most important to them in this moment. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. Praise the Lord! They're weeping. They're mourning. This is great. They're weeping and maybe they're weeping and mourning over their sin. Maybe they're having a change of heart. Maybe they're, oh man, we've messed it up. We've got to get right with God. Let's put our trust in Christ. That would be the, that would be the response I think would, be, would make perfect sense. But look at their response. Verse 11, because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, purple and silk and scarlet. I think you're, getting, you're seeing where we're going with this. And every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory, and every article made by very costly woods, and bronze, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and spices, and incense, and perfume, and frankincense, and wine, and olive oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and, and human lives. Can you say uh, uh, sex trafficking? And it's everything here. They're, they're, they're just, they, they are... They're completely focused on their flesh and they're completely focused on their wealth and they're still completely, they're clinging on to their stuff as hard as they can. You know, everything we have one day is going to be taken out of our cold, dead hands in this physical body anyway. And only what's done for Christ will last. Now, there's nothing wrong with material possessions, but let's, let's have them, not them have us. Let's always place Christ first. I believe I'm at verse 14. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away. There it is, man. They're, they're, they're being taken out of their hands from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. These, verse 17, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste in every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance. Their priority was nothing spiritual, nothing eternal, nothing on the inside, in the great tribulation at the very end as Babylon falls, these people's hearts will be so dark that their focus will be gold, silver, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, wood, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, cattle, sheep, chariots, horses, uh, luxurious and splendid things that they want to have. Verse 16, fine linens, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. These people are coming to the terrible realization that their material wealth is worthless because their worship, they worship their possessions, even here at the very end. You know, um, I'm just like, what? How could they, they not come to their senses? But they don't because they're so focused on their wealth. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know, righteousness delivers from death. What is the righteousness that delivers from death? A personal relationship with Christ Jesus. Turning from your sin, putting your trust in Christ, and being born again, and, and trusting in him alone. You, you bring nothing to the table. It's 100% Jesus and 0% you. You just trust in Christ. That's the righteousness that every man needs. You know, um, they're focused on their wealth. Listen to what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says these words, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Okay? These people at Laodicea, they were, they, were, they were not focused on God. They were focused on their wealth. 
And he says in verse 18 of Revelation chapter 3, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white garments and that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Christ is saying, uh, Matthew 6, 33, what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will take care of themselves. Okay? So we're to place Christ first in our life. He, is, he should be number one. He should be preeminent in everything in our lives and not this world. And notice, you know, I've been working on my savings account for a very long time. You know, I've been working on a lot of things. I've been working on my house. And, but I understand that one day I will no longer have those things. And because I understand the brevity of life, knowing how short life is, it's a constant reminder that I have to place Christ first. And we see this volatile world that we're living in today, from the stock market to people amassing lots of wealth over a short period of time. I mean, I see people, you know, they're, they're poor one week and they're, 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 they're filthy rich. And I see some people, it takes a lifetime but, but verse 17, it says, how long does it take for them to lose everything? Verse 17. It says in verse 17, for in one hour, such great wealth has been laid to waste. Everything that these tribulation unbelievers had amassed and kept for themselves, for all their wealth, probably over a lifetime, God takes it away in one hour. One hour. Place Christ first. Make him your first love. Let's continue. The ship is on fire, by the way, or the house is on fire, whatever you want to call it, as we finish up this chapter. Verse 18. And were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads. And were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Verse 21, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. The spirit of Babylon, the economic, religious, possible headquarters, whatever, is going down. It's, 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 it's coming to an end because it wasn't founded on the truth of the gospel. Verse 22, And the sound of the harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. And with that said, family, in the book of Revelation, Babylon comes crashing down. The religion of Babylon, the philosophy of Babylon, and the wickedness of Babylon. Now, you're probably, some of you may be thinking, thank you, David, for a Bible lesson on the past of the history of Babylon and what it stood for. And thank you, David, Pastor David, for what happens in the future. But you may be asking the question, what do I do with this today? What is the application for the Christian today reading Revelation chapter 17 and 18? Well, first off, I want to remind you of my definition of Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great got up on the screen for you, is a religious and political system that opposes Christianity and biblical values. 
It promotes immorality, and it stands in opposition to God. The religion of Babylon started at the Tower of Babel and continues today in false religions and ungodly philosophies of fallen men, and the Lord Jesus Christ will bring it to an end. My question for you today is, is I believe the spirit of Babylon is it's in the world today. Okay, it's in the world today through false religion. And my question, the application for you today is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the spirit of Babylon? Or are you listening to the spirit of God? It's a huge question. It's a huge question. The spirit of Babylon or the spirit of God? The spirit of Babylon in the world today says a baby in the womb is just a clump of cells. And you can choose to abort that baby if you so choose. That's the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of God says that little baby is created in the image of God. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We believe in the sanctity of life because God is behind the sanctity of life. Okay? That's why we hold that life is precious in the womb and, and, and everyone deserves life regardless of their economic or political or social or whatever situation. That's the Spirit of God says, that little one is created in my image. The Spirit of Babylon says, you can abort it. The Spirit of Babylon says, um, I, I, had, I had to look this up, multiple sites, but the Spirit of Babylon says today that there are 83 genders. There are 83 genders. Don't ask me which ones. I don't know. I just, I just did some research, and most people that call themselves scholars and, and smart, they say that there are 83 genders in the world, okay? That is the spirit of Babylon in the world today because the spirit of God says by the scriptures in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it says he created them male and female. So God says there's two genders. The spirit of Babylon says there's many genders. It's male or female, XX or XY, male or female. So we need to believe, we, we believe it's just male and female because God says it's male and female. The spirit of Babylon in the world today says, do whatever makes you happy. Please yourself. Figure it out yourself. Even if it goes against the Bible. You do you. Do you. you do what you want to do. That is the spirit of Babylon. And it's tempted every single one of us in this room, including your pastor. You know, we've all been tempted to take our own beliefs or our own thoughts or the things we want into our own minds and our own actions and say, I'm going to figure this out for myself. That is the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of God says this. says, we don't do whatever makes us happy. We die to our flesh. We live for Christ and we honor him. So the spirit of Babylon is alive and well today. And the spirit of God is speaking through prophets and teachers and pastors and through scripture we need to believe and trust god's word and resist the spirit of babylon remember this family in closing anytime you believe something that is in direct opposition to god's word you are following the spirit of babylon because that's that's what we saw in these two chapters is these people had rejected god and they believed themselves. They rejected the Holy Spirit, and they believed the Antichrist. Um, please, please, I beg of you, do not listen to the spirit of the world or Babylon. It is a road to destruction. That age-old verse that everybody should have memorized, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life, okay? He is the truth. Truth, that, that word truth means that which conforms to reality. You can not only believe in him, but you can trust in him, and you can conform your life after him because he is the truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, made the most, the most philosophical statement in all the Bible. I challenge you to go home and look it up. He says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Okay? That's how invincible 
Christianity is. That's how true, that's the firm foundation of Christianity. And that's why we believe the scriptures. That's why we believe the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe God and reject the spirit of Babylon. Today, let today be the day of salvation. Surrender your life to him today. Follow him and you live, live your life for his honor and for his glory. And understand this, there, there is a spiritual battle taking place on our planet today, in our country today, and all around each and every one of you. There's a battle, there's a war taking place. And you need to be strong in the word, strong in prayer, strong in fellowship, so that you can survive the onslaughts of the world and stand firm in his grace and his truth and his love that he has for each and every one of us. Amen? Be encouraged. Follow God. Trust his world. And, you know, the world, it, it, it changes every week. You know, what they're, what they're saying this week, it'll be different next week. It'll be different two weeks after that. But the, the firm foundation stands. God does not change, and his word does not change. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Father, help us to follow you with all of our hearts. Help us to resist uh, the temptation to follow after the world, but help us to live in complete surrender to you. Lord, you love us. You love us so much that you, not only did you die on the cross for us, but you gave us this beautiful Bible so that we could live for you and understand your truth. God, be with us today. Strengthen us. And Father, help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, if we have believed any lies of Babylon, if we have believed any lies of the world, will you show each of us individually? Put your finger on that area of our hearts and our lives and our minds and bring us back to your truth and grace. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.